Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We don't war according to the flesh. Now the war is different. Back then the wars were physical, but there are principles from the wars that we could take. When it says here, and you see this throughout, when, when Joshua, in the book of Joshua, when they finally went in and start taking land, it's so redundant. It, it, it almost feels like it's overstated, but it says it over and over again. And they did it with the edge of the sword. And they did it with the edge of the sword. And they did it with the edge of the sword. And we come to the New Testament, and what do we learn about the sword? Right? Which sword are we fighting with? The early books of the Old Testament contained their fair share of battles. These wars had purpose. And that's part of what Pastor Bill will be talking about today in his message. But he'll also remind you that you're fighting a battle too. It's not a physical battle. You aren't going to pull your swords out and charge into the streets. But there is a spiritual fight happening all around you right now. How can you participate? By wielding your weapons of God's Word, prayer, and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, Here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, as he continues his message, Taking New Ground. Look at verse 21 now. It says, Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from the wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. I want to just point this out. Um, because Israel did this before. Uh, if you guys remember, they did it with Edom. And these are enemies. These are not, you know, I read this and I think, man, I don't know. I mean, should they have been able to say like, you know, we, should there have been some battle in them? Should there have been some some fight, some war? Um, it just seems like someone, they've lost so much that they're just like, they're in a submitted place already to the enemy. Where they're just coming to the enemy saying, hey guys, if, if you please, if you don't mind, please. Can we work together, enemy? Can we just kind of go through? We won't touch your stuff. Anything we use it, we pay for it. Can we please just go through? And that's kind of the position that they're in with the enemy. And I would just say this, that there are some Christians that live so defeated that you can live so defeated for so long that you begin to expect to be defeated. You're not even looking to get a victory. You're not even looking to win. And um, saddest thing in the world, if you, if you play on a sports team, uh, the saddest thing in the world is for a team to show up and not even believe they can win. I mean, they, you're not even going to try. You just wonder how much we're going to lose by this time. You might as well go home. You know, I think that's the, when as I read this, that's how I hear Israel at this point. They're just like, well, we're just going to go, you know, through the land. You guys, if, if you don't mind, could we please? Could you give us a pass? And they're talking to the people of Sihon. So look at what happens in verse 23. It says, but Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. Now, that's what Edom did. Edom said, no, you can't go. And they just left. But Sihon does something even more. It says that, so Sihon gathered all his people together and he went out against Israel in the wilderness and he came to Jahaz and he fought against Israel. And so he didn't just say, y'all can't come through. He's like, I'm gonna fight you for asking. And he went and got people and he came out and he pressed the issue. And I'm going to show you something that I found that I thought was really cool here. I read this initially and I think, man, Sihon, that was messed up. But we're going to see if you write notes, write down Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 30. In Deuteronomy 2.30, we see that God is actually working behind the scenes. God hardened this king's heart. 
that he would come against them the way that he did. I'm going to read it to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 30, it says, But Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand. God hardened the heart of Sihon so he would provoke a battle, so he would lose to Israel and Israel could gain their land. So in Deuteronomy 2.30, it says that, that it, it wasn't just by chance that he did this. He said God hardened his heart. God hardened his spirit. Now, what does that mean? Because we, we saw the same thing with um, when they were brought out of Egypt where God hardened his heart. Some people look at that and think, well, that's, is that fair? Like if God hardens your heart so you do the wrong thing, is it your fault or God's fault? And this is what it means when God hardens your heart. Let's say your heart is already bent in a direction against God, which was true for Pharaoh, which is true for Sihon. To harden someone's heart, God says, I'm, I'm going to confirm you in your current state. I'm not going to move to change you. I'm not going to, I won't be, my spirit won't be at work to soften you or to draw you. I'm going to harden you in your current position. I'm going to leave you where you're at. That's what it is. When God hardens a heart, same idea when it says that, you know, God will, there'll be people that are, that are brought, that are left reprobate, you know, where, you know, God has been trying to draw you to the Lord and you're resisting and resisting and resisting. Eventually God says, what will happen is, this is how you become a reprobate. I just won't try anymore. There'll come a point where I say, you know what, you get to keep what you got, which is nothing. I'm not going to move upon your life anymore. And so with this king, God hardens him. And, and I believe the reason why is God said, I, God wants Israel to begin to have some victory. So he hardened this king's heart. So Israel's going to be forced to fight because at this point, they're so cowardice. They, have, they don't know how to fight yet. They haven't won a battle yet. They've been just getting beat up and whomped by everybody everywhere they go. They've been punked and taken advantage of and bullied. And they've been in sin and God's having to get them. The enemies are having to get them. They're in a very just defeated place. And it's like God sets them up for their first victory so they can get a little taste of what it feels like to win. And I just want you to see that God is a as a loving father. He's behind the scenes setting this whole thing up. I'm, I'm going to cause there to be a fight that you weren't really looking for, but you're going to be forced into it. Then I'm going to give you the victory so you can see what it's like to win when you're walking with me. I read that and I just thought, how gracious is that? They don't have a heart to battle yet. And God said, I'm going to set it all up for you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you guys. I'm, I'm going to help get this boat going in the right direction. And so the, the king of Sihon comes out against them. He brought, you know, he, he didn't just say no. He said no and we're going to fight against you guys. And then verse 24 says, then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of the land from Arnon to Jabbok as far as the people of Ammon for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all the cities and Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and in all its villages. For Heshbon was a city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land from his hand as far as the Arnon. So they fight against him and they win. I want you to underline or highlight if you mark your Bible. They came against him in the first part of verse 24. They defeated him with the edge of the sword. I want you to underline that. Whenever we read about the battles in the Old Testament and the wars, we're to take wisdom from the wars, wisdom from the battles, into the New Testament, right? In the Old Testament, the wars were very physical. They were physical battles. You know, you had people going to war against people. We all know in the New Testament, we ain't, Christians are not going to war with other groups. Y'all know that? Y'all know that God's way for us right now is that we don't get the church together and say, all right, guys, let's, let's, let's battle up and go out and let's beat up or stab and kill all the people out there. We don't war according to the flesh. Now the war is different. Back then the wars were physical, but there are principles from the wars that we could take. 
When it says here, and you see this throughout, when, when Joshua, in the book of Joshua, when they finally went in and started taking land, it's so redundant. It, it, it almost feels like it's overstated, but it says it over and over again. And they did it with the edge of the sword. And they did it with the edge of the sword. And they did it with the edge of the sword. And we come to the New Testament, and what do we learn about the sword? Right? Which sword are we fighting with? So I want you to write some verses down. First, write down 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. And all these are dealing with war and battling. Um, but for us, New Testament war battle. We're not going to take up a physical sword and stab nobody, I hope. That's not going to get us the victory that we want. So, But we fight a different kind of war. So it says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 said, look, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. Right. Our weapons are not carnal. Weapons. We're not to be having arguments and fist fights and knife fights. Those aren't our weapons. Now, our weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Well, what are they? Ephesians 4.12 says that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And so even though our hearts, the Bible says, are deceitfully wicked, who could know it? The Bible says the word of God is sharp. It's a two-edged sword. It pierces beneath the surface. And it even is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our own hearts. It'll help us out. Uh, but this is one of our tools for battle, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And so Ephesians 6, 17, as Paul goes through all the list of all the, the spiritual armor and all the, the things that we put on in, in, in chapter 6, verse 17 of Ephesians, he says, and take the helmet of salvation he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so as we read here that they go to war and they have victory by the edge of the sword, the way we're going to have victory in our walk with the Lord and our relationship with the Lord and our spiritual battles, it's going to be by the edge of the sword, too. It's going to be that we become men and women that we stay connected to God through prayer. We stay empowered by the Lord through communication and prayer. And we stay instructed of what to do. And how to war through the word of God. The word of God is not powerful just if you know it. It's powerful if you know it and you do it. It's powerful if you know it and you stand upon it. The greatest kind of picture illustration of the word of God being used in spiritual warfare is when Jesus and Satan were battling. And in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11, if you guys remember, it says that Jesus was led by the spirit of God into the wilderness for a season of temptation from the devil himself. And each time Satan came, Satan came with a valid temptation. And each time Jesus would quote scripture, he would say, it is written, right? Turn these stones bread. If, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Because he had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights and was hungry. And he said, it is written, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Oh, just sliced him. Then he comes again, you know, we'll took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and showed him all the, the glory of everything. So I'll give you all these things right now if you'll bow down and worship me. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I mean, each time Jesus dug into the word of God and the sword of the spirit. And after the third time, it says this, it says, then the devil left him. He left him, right? There's a point at which 
as we war, as we battle, as we, as we exercise obedience to the word, using the sword of the spirit, not just quoting it, but doing it, there's a point at which the enemy has enough. He'll come back, but for the day he's done. And it says at that point he left and the angels came to minister to Jesus. And that reminds me of what James said. James said, if you resist the devil, he'll what? He'll flee. That's how you resist the devil. You stand on the word of God. I know my flesh is being tempted to do this. I know that I'm being drawn out away from God to do that, but I'm going to stand on God's word. And when I do that, I'm exercised. I'm using the sword of the spirit, which is how we have victory in our walk with the Lord. And so in a real practical way, I, I do really want to challenge us tonight. This is where this is where the Holy Spirit stopped me as I was preparing. Because I'm preparing this, I'm reading it over, and I'm saying, Lord, what do you have for us out of this? I understand what Israel is going through. I understand their battles. I understand they finally get a victory here. They're going to get one more. But what do you have for us? And this is where I believe it with all my heart. The Holy Spirit just said, there are people here that are their battles. Some of you are their battles that you haven't even taken up the war yet. It's just there. It's just lingering. And uh, it just keeps you defeated. So you can't really enjoy just like them right here. They're going to get to a place where there's victory and they're like, you know, they're, they're enjoying the victory of God, but they're not there yet. Right. God has to force this battle to bring about this first victory and then they'll get one more victory. And then they're going to have some other junk go on and still some more sin and some more things. But this is it. This is what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart for us, that there are people here that they need to begin the war. You need to begin the battle. And there are battles that you haven't you haven't even started. It's just there. If you're here and, and you know that that's you, that, that, that's between you and God. But if you know there are things that are just lingering and it's just there and you, you remain in a defeated place in your walk with God. Let this be a call from God to you that, that let you one be encouraged that God wants to bring you to a place of victory and that he's calling you saying, hey, would you would you come have victory? Would you come have the victory I died to give you? Do you know that Jesus died not just to forgive our sins, that we should have victory. He died to deliver me from the penalty of sin, but also from the present power sin has. So I'm supposed to be victorious. And if I'm not victorious, then I'm not taking full advantage of everything Christ has made available to me. Just like them, they weren't taking advantage of everything that God was making available to them at this time. And if you're not enjoying victory in God and the fullness of the spirit and and all that God promises, the, the New Testament saint that's full of the spirit of God, it's because we're not taking full advantage of all that God has made available. So rather than get rather than be bummed out about it, I don't want you to hear this message. Oh, that's me. I'm not, I'm not enjoying it as, as I knew it. I'm leaving. You know, I'm pointing this out to you tonight. And I believe the Holy Spirit is pointing out to us saying, so then we need to fight. This is what I, I pray. I'm saying, so, so what do I tell them? Like, how do you fight? How do you begin? How do you start the fight? First, you identify whatever it is. You got to, I mean, you, if you already know, you need to call it out. You need to say what it is. Some people never start the fight because they're embarrassed. Uh, they're embarrassed to tell anybody or to, you know, they won't even ask for prayer or anything. They're just embarrassed. So they just tuck it away. Do you know whatever sin you got tucked away? In the dark is where Satan has power and authority and dominion he's the prince and power of the darkness and it's when you bring the dark junk into the light that god can begin to work and so as you leave it in the dark that's why you stay defeated because there's no victory here's in the dark it's like leaving the ball in satan's hands because you don't want anybody else to see it he'll hold on to it for you and he'll keep taking it from you but you bring your own junk to the light god this is what it is lord i'm dealing with this don't be ashamed Right. Go on and have a victory. Don't be ashamed. Just don't let that continue to be your testimony, your story. When God has said, I want to bring you to total victory. 
And so if shame or embarrassment keeps you defeated, don't be. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed about starting a battle, starting a fight that God's called you to fight and God wants to help you to get a victory in. The next thing it is, if, if you've been battling and losing, like I tried, but I keep fighting, I, I, I'm trying this and I'm, I'm battling, I'm losing. Quite possibly, when people battle over something, they keep falling back and forth when God has empowered us to win, then maybe you're doing it in your strength and not taking advantage of all that God has made available in his strength. And so if you're fighting battles in your strength and you're doing them your way and not God's way, because if I do it God's way, I got to do it according to the word, because that's the sword that I'm fighting with. I got to fight his battles his way that I can enjoy victory. So if you're fighting, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I keep losing. Maybe you're trying in your own might and your own strength. And the failure in your own strength should bring you to a place where you say, God, I need to reset. I need to do this your way. And the way you do it his way is you do it according to his word. So then whatever the issue is, maybe you do need to speak with someone that you can get scripture that you can get. What does God's word say about this thing right here that I could just I need to memorize those verses and be obedient to those verses and do what those verses say so that I can have God's victory in this area of my walk. That's how we begin to walk in victory. Now I got God's word. I got God's instruction. I know that what God's word says is what he wants me to do. And now I'm asking God to give me his strength to walk it out. And I bring it into the light so that people can hold me accountable to walk it out in this way. And so for whomever that may apply, God does want us to be victorious. He does not want us to be defeated. And this is what I was thinking about as I was, you know, we'll move on from this part of it. When I was a kid, my mom grew up being abused and she was physically abused. My mom had been sexually abused. And so that lit a fire in my mom. Like she, my mom was like, this never going to happen to you. Like she was going to not let that happen to us. So I grew up in the neighborhood. I got all the fellas and all this different stuff like that. My mom's thing was she would make me, you know, and it, it seems weird because my mom was a really sweet lady and she was all kind. But if my mom felt like that there was some guy that was bullying or taking advantage, my mom would say, no, you're going to go back. I remember my mom being at my school and sitting in the car and I had a guy that we had ongoing fights with. And in one year at school, his cousin came to the school. So now there was two of them. So every day after school, instead of having him, I have him and him. So one day I'm out there and, you know, it's two of them. My mom pulls up and I'm like, whew, saved by mom. I'm going to the car. And my mom said, did he just push you? And she's like, no, you go back out. You're not, that's not, we don't have that. She's like, you get out, you're going to go fight him right now. I'm watching. And my mom gets out the car and stands there. And so she's like, no, it's only going to be one person, but you're going to fight him. He puts you, you go hit him. And as I look back on it, my mom was saying like, it's just not going to be your routine. You're not going to be getting beat up. And coming home because you got to catch the bus home and yo, so forth and so on. And she was just insisting you're going to fight it out. It's going to get fixed that way. Now, however ethical that was or wasn't, it was good for me at that time just because of where we were living, how we were coming up. But I look at this and I think, you know, God is saying in a, in a spiritual sense, right? Man, don't get used to getting bullied. Now, I will say this in my era of kids, the kids that did get bullied, it was a sad existence because you had a lot of bullies. You had a lot of kids. Everybody fought. So if you were a kid that was disposed to that and you didn't have fight in you, it was a terrible time to be a kid. That was not, they didn't get to enjoy. You couldn't just go anywhere. You couldn't have the freedom to be on the bus. You couldn't go down that street or that street or the other thing. It took away your freedom. And I think that the same thing happens to believers that are walking in defeat. You don't feel free. I feel like God's calling me to do this, but I shouldn't do that because I know, I'm, I know, I know back here I got this junk going on. 
I feel like God wants me to do this other thing. You may feel called to do all these things. And it's like, "Mm," but you always are held back because you know that you got some junk over here that needs to be dealt with. God wants you to pick a fight, go in and make war with whatever those things are that you can begin to have victory in him. And he wants us to have victory in every area of our life. God wants you and me to be free. He wants us to be absolutely free, free in him, free to love him, free to love people, free to minister to people, free from the bondage and power of sin that we might enjoy everything God has given for us in this life and on into the next. Amen. And so moving on now, look at verse 27. Now, this is after they took the battle. And so it says, therefore, in verse 27, therefore, those who speak in Proverbs say, and it's more of a parable, it says, come to Heshbon, let it be built, let the city of Sihon be repaired. For fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, Moab. You have perished, O people of Sheshemoth. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, king of the Amorites. But we have shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as Debon. Therefore, we laid waste as far as Nepoth, which reaches to Mediba. Now, all that is saying this. We're being shown that the area that they just defeated Moab was previously they were very powerful. They didn't beat a weak foe. Uh, He's basically saying, look at Moab beat this group. They beat these other people over here. They had victory over there. They had taken captivity here. They set these people on fire. It's like God is saying, look, we're bringing attention to the fact that the one that you just defeated was great. I mean, they were defeating everybody else. But because God was in you, you have victory here. And I would just point this out, that in Christ, we can have victory over things that other people are being defeated by. Right. God makes the difference in our life, right? The same group here that had defeated others and set other people's stuff on fire and taken captivity other groups and taken possession of other people's things, this same group, when they came against Israel, they were defeated. And so some of the things that God wants to give us victory over, there'll be people in the world that are defeated by this, but God's going to make the difference in our lives that we can have his victory over the same thing that other people are being defeated by. And that's that's what he's pointing out there. Verse 31, it says, Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they took its villages, and they drove out the Amorites who were there, and they turned and went up by way of Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle an injury. So now we have another issue. As, as they come to another area, it says Moses sent, she sent the spy out this area, Jazer, and they took its villages and they drove out the Amorites who were there. And then in verse 33, this is a new war, a new battle. They turned and went up to Bashan. So Og, the king of Bashan, he went out against them, he and all the people of Indri. So another group comes out against them to battle. Um, same situation. Another group says, hey, they're coming over here. This is what happens when you start having victory. Right. When you start having victory, the enemy will say, whoa, whoa, I can't let that get rolling too good. And he's going to show up. He showed up once. Now he's showing up again saying, see if we can stop the row. See if we can stop the flow. Anybody here that can look back to when you first got saved and you were beginning to have victory. I know we can all remember the times and the ways that the enemy tried to sidetrack us and derail us as we were on that, that victorious road. And maybe you remember, maybe you can look back and say, I know I can. I can look back and say, man, I was at this point, I was doing really good in this area. And then, boom, I got derailed right here. 
And over here, I was doing really well, and the enemy threw this flag up over here. And, and after a while, you realize that, man, the enemy is always trying to take my victory. But he can't take your victory. You have to forfeit it. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As we study through the book of Numbers, do you relate to how the people wanted to rebel, complain, and doubt what God's doing? Throughout this book, it's easy to pick up on a theme that God doesn't look kindly at a rebellious spirit or behavior. However, He corrects the people in a way that causes them to come back to Him with the right kind of heart. The lessons that He taught them are the same ones He teaches you today. He wants you to live fully for Him, not just say one thing and do another. This means not going about your ministry complaining about the things that bother you. God wants you to be overflowing with gratitude for what He's doing in your life and to look back at the struggles and recognize that He was the one who got you through. Are you enjoying these things that you're gaining from the book of Numbers? Today's message is available to listen to again on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. Once you're there, just click on the Teachings tab. Otherwise, feel free to download our mobile app to listen to more messages like this. Just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of A Transforming Word.